we call this show Ren and uh, Snippy, and I expected Ahsoka to turn around to Sabine Ren and be like, you idiots! Look at what you have done! You gave the map away to the enemy! What are you doing? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was expecting uh, somewhat from their reunion, but no, uh, that, we'll get into that. That's, I guess, a spoiler, but everyone kind of they, like knows They could have stuff. done a Thrawn song to log, you know? Yeah. Oh, no! Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> Who is... Oh. Uh, which character is this now? Is that is that who I th- is that the pirate? That's pretty good. The space pirate. Scary. I can't remember the space pirate's name, but John, you're such a handsome guy, and uh that Mr. Hyde isn't your best look. I don't think. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Right now I'm very I, I can't even understand what he's saying, which is how I imagine a stormtrooper actually sounds. <laughs> You know, yeah, no wonder they can't shoot worth shit. They can't see anything. Yep, Luke says that in the in uh in the New Hope. He says, "I can't see a thing in this helmet." Exactly. Right. I, can't but, hear, I can't even hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'd like to welcome everyone to Ren and Simpy because that idiot gave away the map. But joking aside, uh, yeah, but we didn't do this six episode the week it came out because we had a screening for the creator, which. Uh, I was just like lukewarm on, and uh, I know Jeff, you were not a fan of it at all. Which no, I, I, I agreed with a lot of what you said with it. You know, it, it is it's very, very well produced. It's beautiful cinematography and some top-notch special effects. So many of those films these days have that. But my God, it was so derivative, and I just was mm-hmm. all the destruction and violence. I got really irritated with it after a while. So I maybe it just hit me really wrong. But yeah, not not a not an enjoyable movie for me yeah it kind of did the same problem i had with district nine where i was really invested in the story in the first few minutes when it wasn't so much action and they were Mm -hmm. like kind of using that fake documentary style to set up the story and then they get into the action and it just ditches any sort of thought or creativity for explosions and constant mayhem Mm -hmm. and that's the same exact problem i found with this movie which is why i was like this is like district nine where it feels realistic but then it gets ridiculous. I mean, it gets ridiculous in the beginning when there's that huge explosion and Maya's supposed to survive. Like, really? It was like that. How many people have to die just so she can live? I mean, that's the other thing. There's so much destruction. And you know, it's funny, John, when I was watching that movie, I was actually thinking about these two episodes that we've just watched and what you basically foretold in a sort of uh, soothsayer kind of way of those three witches that uh, are, are helping <laughs> Thrawn here. I want to call them Macbeth's witches. They're clearly an homage. But I kept yeah. thinking about how you were saying that uh, these are going to be really incredible episodes and so cinematic. And it's so funny. I mean, we all talked about it last uh, time, but that episode five was released into the theaters and stuff. My mm-hmm. God, I think six and seven look just as good, if not maybe in some respects more impressive because they were That's really true. expensive kind of fights. You know, it wasn't just Ahsoka versus uh, Anakin on that long sort of walkway, uh, runway or whatever. But um, I, I mean, this, I have to say, and I just, I, I'll, I'll just quickly say, again, I'm not the, the expert that you guys have, but uh, you guys are, but I thought this was easily the most satisfying Star Wars stuff I've seen in the streaming format and maybe, yeah. maybe the most uh, compelling uh, blend of character and philosophy and action and even critters. 
<laughs> I so, loved yeah. that, that howler, that howler too. Since really maybe the first three movies, I, I mean, yeah. I was that impressed. Yep. I've yeah. been saying that since the beginning, man. Like, this is the best Star Wars that we're going to get maybe in our lifetime. There's there's nothing for me to complain about. Like, I was complaining up and down about Andor. Like, that story went nowhere. It went a bunch of circles and went literally, like, nothing happened in that whole story. It was 12 episodes of what? Like, it was 16. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it was too many episodes of what exactly? This is this is every episode. Almost every second is not is just whiz bang, awesome, cool, fun stuff. Like you said, yeah. the witches, the production value, the music behind the production, and the the sound quality and the like. The sound design overall has just been totally. It, it's been getting better as we get towards episode eight, and I can't wait for this finale. It's obviously going to be movie quality. Like well, it already is. Yeah. Steps to get us this far. If we've learned anything from the Disney era of Star Wars, they saved the best for last. They literally woke, wrote Kenobi from the last episode backwards. That's <laughs> obvious. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that last episode was all it was for Kenobi, and that's kind of where they're going with this entire series with Ahsoka. And let me let me just say that Ahsoka is, in my mind, it is Rebels season five. But it's only chapter one. The entire mm. season of Ahsoka is only Rebels season five, chapter one. Like, it's from Ahsoka's point of view. Obviously, they had to focus on Sabine and get her into it. So there's a lot of Sabine. You know, right. nobody knows who Sabine is. We kind of learned who Ahsoka was from Boba Fett and from Mandalorian. So people kind of knew that. So they kind of had to force Sabine on us a little bit with a bunch mm -hmm. of episodes focused on. So I get that, but. Oh my goodness, Ahsoka jumping out of airplanes and barrel rolling straight into lightsabers. And oh my goodness, she's this is the Ahsoka that we knew in yeah. the cartoons and it's live action animation, like I've been saying since. And she's got that uh, right, kind of the um, uh, the pale rider Shane kind of a little mm -hmm. bit morose early on, but now after she's become sort of Ahsoka the White, she's mm -hmm. got this confidence and this. Uh, wherewithal and knowingness, you know, I mean, I think that's what was, I, I, you kind of scared off uh, Balin Skull a little bit, like, it's like, okay, she's really kind of got her shit together, and even Thrawn had to admit that, uh, you know, she's, oh, she was studying with Anakin Skywalker, fuck, that's yeah. not going to help me, uh, you know, but she seems very positive, and, you know, when when she uh, uh, held Sabine from uh, shooting at um shin you know and like just that kind of confidence you don't have to kill them all and you know let's see what happens uh, just that confidence in her character change alone is a nice part of the arc i think yeah, well, she's very much the uh, aragorn from return of the king right now i yes. want to see the rest of yes hmm. well see said. The rest of return of the king star wars style and see her just hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting. Uh, I I liked episode five more. Or I'm sorry, I should say episode six more than seven, just because that one finally finally introduced Thrawn, and it was an incredible entrance. Because good. like I have a home theater, so like my subwoofer was going crazy mm -hmm. when that star destroyer starts <laughs> entering. Yeah, the frame. And then when you finally get that reveal of Thrawn, you have these stormtroopers who, at 
for there was a theory that they were like night troopers, like the night mm-hmm. sisters revived dead guys and made him stormtroopers again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true after how easily dispatched they disposed they were by uh episode seven. But this was a film, this was an episode that set up a lot of stakes, mm-hmm. and you finally get to see like where these things are going to happen. You like know, you get the idea that Ahsoka is gonna come back, she's gonna get fired upon, things are gonna go south. And it's building up towards that. Uh, if there is one funny thing about Ahsoka, there's surprisingly very little Ahsoka in Ahsoka. These show, these show episodes, outside of episode five, they've kind of been about like all these other characters, mm-hmm. uh, mostly about Sabine reuniting with uh, with Ezra Bridger. When we finally got them reuniting, that was a pretty nice scene. But if I'm just wondering if someone hasn't isn't familiar with the cartoon shows what are they feeling when they see thrawn and they see sabine and uh and ezra hook up well i wonder how that feels it, it was awesome i got at being somebody that's watched seven seasons of you know it's what is it seven seasons of the clone wars plus four seasons of rebels plus i didn't watch the entirety of resistance that got old real quick but like, yeah. There's so much cartoon content out there for those of us that have watched all of it to have Thrawn come in like this was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean it was a great entrance. The Night Sisters and the you know the magic side of it. Like I've been screaming about that since day one. Like Star Wars is half magic, and we haven't seen a source of magic or magicians. Right. Nobody's really mentioned it aside from people using the Force. But what is the Force? It's literally the ability to harness magic and use yeah, it it's, it's so it witchcraft in its own and, sense oh my goodness like the introduction of thrawn was fantastic yeah. you know mike and uh john you guys are the experts at this and you said like how is somebody who's you know maybe not as familiar with the characters gonna say like where did ahsoka go for episode uh uh six it was basically Sab- sabine's show where they're really giving her time and attention and all of her interaction with how and it dawned on me that i think in some respects what these Star Wars series are going for as their template more often than not seem to not necessarily be the movies or maybe even the cartoon shows, though I don't know enough about them to speak with authority. But there seems to be a comic book feel to this. And let me just expound on that for a second. A lot of times in comic books, they will have like I, I was a big um, uh, uh Michael Bendis, Brian Michael Bendis fan, and he would do all these things. And there would be issues that would come up like, Where's the main character? I guess they had the week mm-hmm. off, you know, mm-hmm. and he'll tell a backstory of this villain or this side character, or how we got to this one thing. And I think this is doing that. They did it quite a bit in the other series that I've watched. And you wonder, like, is, uh, you know, is Pascal doing the other series now? Is that why he's not in this episode? But I think their template is kind of this comic book feel. And I'll tell you the scene that really drove it home for me. Uh, and it's it's very Star Wars, but it's also very, very comic book. And it was in um, episode six where Sabine is out there looking for Ezra and she's out in the desert with her howler. And she doesn't think the howler is really helping guide her much. And she kind of like dismisses it and says, yeah. just stay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to walk here. And the camera sits there on this widescreen frame and you see her leave and the howler goes the other way and it just sits there and i'm sitting there going one one thousand 
to 1,000. And I think at six, finally, that howler sheepishly enters the frame and then follows her. And then, of course, he sniffs around and finds, uh, you mm -hmm. know, the, the nodi, the hermit crabs with that. I, I think always look to me look like turtle Jar Jar Binks with their similar yeah. eyes. But uh, anyway, um, turtle Gungans. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, but that way that you would see a comic book page very mm -hmm. cheekily done by a lot of comic bars, which would have those five blank frames where nothing is in them until the last frame where the howler snout comes to back into it. And that that's how they would do it in a combo. And you'd laugh like hell. And the same thing is here. I'm laughing like, how long are they going to prolong this? It's almost like Sideshow Bob with the rake in The Simpsons. How many times does he hit that rake before they say, okay, we've exhausted this? I think it's 16 times. you know. But here they go all those seconds. I thought, that's fantastic that they take the time, build that tension, build that comedy, and just let us sort of uh, enjoy the the fact that it isn't just the ah ahsoka show it's not just rosario dawson it's it's the star wars world and these creatures and these villains and everything else i love the fact that lars mickelson is given tons of time to just think on screen mm -hmm. you see him thinking and then you see him being the grandmaster not only the grand admiral he's a grandmaster chess player like mm. oh is that what we're well, let's do this then. And, you know, uh, what's her name? Morgan, I guess. Is, is that the woman who's Morgan looking at him like, yeah. yeah, like, what are you, really? And he's, you know, he's so far ahead of her. It's like, here's oh, yeah. your checkerboard, young lady. And here's my chessboard. That's three dimensions. And I just yeah. love that they give that kind of time. And that's what they do in comic books. And that's what they've been doing in this series to great, great effect. Yeah, this yeah, is I'm sort so of. Glad, I'm so glad you mentioned that because, like, everybody's question, like, who is Thrawn? What is Thrawn? What's his deal? Like, what? Why is he so special? But if you, somebody that hasn't read comic books or any of the stories or has, you know, a little bit of Rebels knowledge coming into it of who right. Thrawn is, can right. figure out who he is within the first 10 seconds of seeing him on screen, they, that's fantastic, man. They did an excellent job of getting that, his character across immediately yeah. with yeah. who he is, what he's about, what he can do, what he can. Like, as soon as he saw Sabine Wren on his bridge or whatever, he knew that the fate of the entire galaxies that he was aware of was going to change. Mm -hmm. Like he knew at that moment, having Sabine Wren in front of him, he's like, Oh, okay. All right. You know, things are changing right now. We're making, mm -hmm. I'm making decisions. I'm already 25 steps ahead of everything that I thought I was going to be doing before this point. But like, yeah, as soon as he saw her, he's like, he, he switches gears and you can see that on screen. You can see him contemplate. You can see him compute. And yeah, Jeff, it is amazing that that's coming through to somebody that doesn't know who Thrawn is or yeah. was coming into this. That's what they wanted to do. It's like, yeah, because yeah, I was worried audiences would see him and be like, everyone's scared of that fat guy. Like, why is everyone <laughs> <It's> so intimidating <laughs> about him? But I love the fact, too, that, you know, there's these wonderful little uh comparisons and con uh con contrast that almost beg you to watch a second time to just appreciate those nuances like i love the fact that when balen's skull is sort of thrown for a loop he's not sure what to do where mm -hmm. uh you know thrawn is and he's sitting there like bobby fisher going okay boris Spassky took my knight i really wanted to keep that knight yep. but I still have this rook over here, and I don't think that my opponent knows what I'm going to do with it. Uh, and, you know, that's where Martha's like, she just doesn't get it. And, and uh, you know, it's funny. One of the things we talked about often uh, in, in regards to the last Mandalorian episode is some of it 
while they're doing some of that, you know, pause and effect for drama and, and character development or thinking on screen and stuff, it often felt like filler to me, even though I liked the series uh, much better than most of the people I was uh, doing the Ian uh, Simmons show with. But um, here, I thought all of the pauses and the waiting and wondering, you were really seeing the characters contemplate what was going on here and having to think about it. And it was fascinating because I think it shows you that there is strategy to what they're doing, particularly Thrawn. He's not like knows everything. I mean, he's thinking it through and it's like, oh, that's why he's such a, a clever guy. And even when he's facing, to your point, John, like, okay, this is kind of changing this and maybe I have to go to the different galaxy for this and mm -hmm. maybe I should just call this one a day and retreat and get my stormtroopers and and uh, and Shin back or whatever. Um, that's part of a bigger plan, a bigger strategy that maybe Balin can't see, certainly Martha can't see, and maybe the audience can't see, but we see him seeing it, and yep. that's fascinating to watch because it's like, wow, what is going on there? I got to think about that while I'm watching him. And I love it when you see characters think on, on screen, and, and, yeah. and Ahsoka does some of that here too. It's, it's, it's really well done in this, in this series. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's dragged out. Yeah. Like it does in some like in some shows or other pieces of media, you know, you'll see someone say a line and they wait, wait, wait. Actually, Obi-Wan had some pacing issues like that. Like I know there was a scene where Darth Vader's in his throne room and he's like literally in the framing. My frame is right now. And he gets <laughs> up and it's just like crotch level. And it's on that ah! shot for about like three <laughs> seconds. And I'm like, well, not three seconds. That's exaggerating, but it, it but it was on there. You would think they would have cut before they wasted time showing that part of him that isn't particularly yeah. compelling. Yeah, and like that had Obi Wan had issues like that all over, where like the actor would say the line, and the actors are supposed to be thinking, but really it's not adding anything to the scene, and then they say the line. You know, mm -hmm. with with uh, Ahsoka, you know, especially with Thrawn, you know, there's there's those moments where, you know. Uh, Thrawn is talking to the Night Sisters, and he'll pause and he'll say, "What's up? Tell me about this. Why?" Did I? And then he'll end up creating a strategy quite quickly, where mm -hmm. you know maybe somebody else could have. Like you can tell, he's much more of a strategist than Darth Vader was, and he's about as intelligent as the Emperor. Well, who knows about as intelligent as the Emperor, but pretty darn intelligent, which is why he was his second in command. And it's great that you got that in the beginning because you get from just the organs and the horn music. I mean, Kevin Kinder's score is on point mm -hmm. when they introduce Thrawn. And when you hear that, you immediately get, oh, wow, this guy is a threat. He survived for 10 years here. There's the a little a bit of a feel of succession with Thrawn, yeah. too, I thought, because like when I watch Darth Vader and all the old stuff and even to some degree, the way um, Hayden Christensen plays him, there's a, a rashness to him or, or, and then turns into brashness. Like, you know, he he'll cut somebody off when they're talking. and He doesn't like what they're saying and they'll start to choke. It's like mm. almost like he's a drill sergeant getting in his peons faces you know and yelling at them or so this where Thrawn plays it like he's the goddamn guy in the corner office you know mm -hmm. the ceo like so why would you do this or tell me uh what would you do here or what are we thinking like testing them to see if they're good like if they're worthy of being in his inner circle and you know i, I promoted you to this and you're kind of in control of these three uh soothsaying witches but uh, should I really be trusting you because I'm so I think you're not only watching him assess the Jedi like when the Jedi beat him he goes like oh it's like the Jedi of old I mean he was almost enjoying it you know like this is an actual challenge but I love his challenging of all of the people around him you really see he's a shrewd player yeah 
Yeah, and I think uh, Lars Mikkelsen was great to keep him cast in that role because he has that slow, sort of methodical voice Yes. in a way where it's very iconic to his character. And to bring it to live action, I was a little concerned, you know, because people on the internet were joking that he looked like Elon Musk and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I, I didn't see that, but okay. But I think his look is almost, I mean, I know it, this is going to sound like sacrilege, but for me anyway, it almost seems like his look is somewhat inconsequential because there's a yeah. a foreignness to so many characters in it. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. their eye color. I mean, I'm still not over Rosario Dawson, you know, with her blue eyes. You know, it's like she's got such big, dark, rich eyes in all of her other films. And here, you know, she's a little bit in disguise because of that. But man, once he starts moving and yeah. just the way he his head and he waits on delivery line i mean he's very much like ray stevenson too who's yeah. you know yeah he, he cuts a certain formidable figure but the way he moves his figure the way he uses his voice uh, but especially mickelson he is the man i mean he may seem a little pudgy or uh, you know elon musk-esque in his looks and hair or whatever but i i got past that pretty quick because he's intimidating as hell yeah, and this is like we're all benefiting from the Filoni effect too. Like he's he's got these people who have already honed these characters. Like Lars Mikkelsen has been Thrawn for years already. Oh yeah, like four seasons in. I mean, he was he wasn't introduced until the second season, I believe. But like he's been Thrawn for quite a while already, so he already owned that character. He already knew the voice pacing. He already knew the stalling. The the buildup of tension within just within his own and to get that character and have that presence literally on screen behind the voice it, it's just like I, I don't know like was Disney set up for Filoni just to take over Star Wars from well he's done one? a hell of a job hasn't he so I mean this is really firing like, on all how cylinders how can we expect anybody to step in and be like this is what like nobody can do Star Wars now in my mind like it's got to be his show going forward and it, it, he's got to have his hands in every single project or it's going to feel like sequel error again and not worth watching again honestly yeah. well i you think know, that's he, he his job so much more fun back to star wars that he's, he's got a helmet he absolutely has to helm yeah well <laughs> i think that's what they're kind of right now i feel like dave filoni mm -hmm. is giving us the star wars sequel we wanted to have mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. because we essentially the sequels we got you could tell they were rushed the door you know, uh, when when episode seven first came out, I was admittedly like over the floor thrilled with it. Mm -hmm. I knew it was a cheap script. I knew that, you know, they just basically copied everything from episode four. But mm -hmm. I didn't care because it felt like Star Wars. And then uh, The Last Jedi came out. <clears throat> and I'm one of the few people who wasn't very thrilled with it. I liked <laughs> Brian Johnson's ideas behind it. But I didn't like his execution. I felt like he kind of made a cheap comedy. Mm -hmm. And then when Rise of Skywalker came out, I just could tell that was Disney hitting the panic button, not knowing what to do and grabbing J.J. Abrams because mm -hmm. episode seven worked out so well. Here you get something where you get a creator who's making something bigger and it's going to pay off more. And they're kind of doing it, like you were saying, Jeff, about the comic book effects. Like you kind of see what Marvel does with their MCU products and how mm -hmm. they kind of stretch them out into television shows. Except we've already gotten so many MCU films, we don't really want more. Mm -hmm. And with Star Wars, is always split across three trilogies. And yep. 
yeah, here it's like we're taking that time in between the trilogy to finally fill in those gaps that had me wondering when I was watching the sequels, wait, who the hell is the First Order? How did these guys mm -hmm. rise to power after the Emperor mm -hmm. was defeated? Why is there a resistance? And now you're finally seeing Dave Filoni set that up, and that is you know, very satisfying to watch. Well, one thing I, I must say, and it's a compliment to you two guys too, because I keep thinking of you in the show when I'm watching the show. Um, but I think Filoni has also um, approached this with not only the skills and talents as a, a writer and a filmmaker, but he understands the history and the continuity. This is the one thing that I think has been the problem with some of the Star Wars movies, at least the last three were that were mm -hmm. done, and in some respects, parts of the series, too, is I think every new writer who comes on it, of course, always wants to make their name and their bones, and they write some different things, but they'll do things that are like... Uh, maybe funny bits as a writer, but they're not right for Star Wars. I'll give you an example of it. Um, they never really developed the Poe Dameron character properly mm -hmm. in any of the three movies. And Oscar Isaac is one of the actors of his generation. I mean, he's really terrific. And if you've ever seen like, um, uh, you know, uh, some of the stuff, like the thing he won the uh, Golden Globe for on Showtime, Show Me a Hero, or um, the, the miniseries he did with Jessica Chastain. He can play small and be fascinating. But in the last episode, the last uh, of the three movies that he was in, do you remember he kept repeating everything? Like, mm -hmm. did you hear him say that? Did you hear him say that? He said that, didn't he? He said that. And repetition is funny in comedy. But that character wouldn't be saying those kind of things over and over again, like he's, you know, some sort of, you know, neurotic uh, New Yorker or something. It, it was out of character. Here, all the comedy or the slyness they have is in character. Um, like when, um, uh, and I'm, I'm forgetting now, sorry, I I'm, was going, I was doing well on the, remembering the names, the, the robot character that's uh, Ahsoka's foil throughout. Hu Yang? Yeah, yeah. When he is sitting there watching this go on and he's like, Oh, I hope I survive to watch all this. That's what he would say. He, it's his. It's a funny line, but it's in his character. It's not a joke line. It's a character line. Like he's a little bit of a Nelly, you know, but not too much of a Nelly. But just like that would be his legitimate worry. Not like, did you hear him say that? Did you hear him say that? Like Poe Dameron is doing. The other one is I loved uh, the 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 time they gave Dawson uh, and the curl of her lip, which is about the first thing we've seen in this whole series where Dawson plays Dawson a little bit when um, she says, you know, about when she finally gets to sort of relax and they send Shin scammering uh, and she says, and miss this reunion. Mm -hmm. That's what Ahsoka would say. She's mm -hmm. sly like that. It's like, you know, she's not going to be over giddy or you know she's got this coolness this confidence she is this jedi and stuff and i just thought that's the difference you're writing the character's wit not wit for the character there you go mm -hmm. there you go yeah, yeah. yeah. and she and she doesn't seem like everyone complained that she was stoic and here she has a lot more that. personality <laughs> i mean she, she's she's she waiting meant to she be was stoic until anakin beat her ass <laughs> yeah. I, mean, she up, she was like, I was about oh, to say she she seemed a little different when she became Ahsoka the White. Yep. That's yeah. when she ended up having more of a personality. I think before mm -hmm. that she was just very defeated and down, yeah. you know, because yeah. I, I don't know. She was don't... also waiting. Like I think she was watching to see what happens. There was always a mm -hmm. yeah. I, I compared her to a cat in my review saying that she's kind of like interesting, just watching and waiting. Like, I don't have to bat you around just yet. Little Mr. Mouse. I'm just going to 
watch and see what you do first. And I thought there's a little bit of that, which is very Shane, very pale writer, very, you know, Clint Eastwood in its way. But, um, but when she became, you know, Ahsoka the White, she's suddenly like more confident, more charming. I mean, there was no way that she was going to lose to Balin. In fact, I think Balin realized that he wasn't going to beat her. So it was like, shit, I got to reprogram this whole attitude thing because I don't know mm -hmm. what this new, better Ahsoka version. Yeah. And yeah. they'll probably square off for for the last episode. Or I, But the dumbest thing Filoni could do, which I don't think he'd be dumb enough to do, is have them kill off Thrawn or something like that. That would no, be stupid. Thrawn no, has can't. to get out of that galaxy mm -hmm. so then he can get into the one everyone's at and he can start mm -hmm. formulating his plan. Because yeah. that's what he's for. He's there to build the First Order, I think. Oh, yeah. By the way, let me ask you both this too, since you're such aficionados, but I don't know if I've ever seen a more beautiful image in a Star Wars movie than those space whales floating mm. through there and going different speeds and stuff. And then I love the fact that they even sort of Jonah and the whale, the ship to give them safe transport mm -hmm. sort of hidden. I just thought that all in the, the, the grace of those special effects, that's impressive too, because they spent the money to make that look absolutely ideal. Yeah, it looks like space kind of odyssey a little bit when they were going through the uh when they were going through the black hole like it had the same kind of color scheme that bowman was going through mm, interesting but they didn't make it you know horrifying and screwing it with legetti or anything like that <laughs> yeah. yeah and these these again are just things that were benefiting from the Filoni era like he did mm -hmm. so much work on the cartoons that he he, I mean, he just knew exactly what he was going to do when he was like handed the keys to the live action universe. Mm -hmm. You know, the pausing, the Kurosawa, the just all of it. He knew what he was doing when he came into this. And it's it's so obvious. And being, like me and Mike are on this side being huge Star Wars fan and we're enjoying the hell out of it. And I'm so happy that somebody that wasn't so into the cartoons can get just as much out of it as we are. That is fantastic. That that makes me know that he like he really knows what he's doing. Well, that's funny, John. Too. You oh good. I, I was gonna say like one thing that we didn't haven't touched on is that this like this filler series that we're talking about like there are actual stakes here. Like we yes. don't know the story mm -hmm. of Ahsoka. So like it's it's cliffhanger after cliffhanger after cliffhanger versus a fill-in story with Solo where they come in and it's like, oh, Solo's in danger, or Lando's like, no, they're not. They're going to be fine. We see them years later when they survive this situation. So it's like the stakes are high. Like we don't know the outcome of where Ahsoka's character had. Like where is she come the, the sequels? Like what is it? Like that is fantastic to me. Like the, the question marks over her head still mm -hmm. after, you know, seven years of Rebel or of, of Clone Wars, four years of rebels and now this like there's still question marks over this character and that is fantastic like we didn't need the questions answered in solo that we had answered but we do need all of these questions that we don't even know that our questions answered for us so like that's mm. been fantastic i've been loving that part of it you know, John, to that point, if you don't mind me interrupting uh, for a second, Mike, I know you, I'm, I don't want to usurp your questions or, but I think it's a key thing here too. And we talked about this. And I think it was one of your issues, Mike, with um, this last season of the Mandalorian, there were some scenes and some um, episodes that, you know, were maybe played a little lighter and more comedically. And, and there's things like that all the time, but to John's point about stakes, there's not only big stakes here, but in every scene, there's some sort of stake. 
Like, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, there's this old cliche that they say to writers, but it's, it's a, it's a key one. And I dare say some of the Mandalorian forgot that from episode to episode is like, mm-hmm. what's really at stake here? What is, what is the tension in this scene? Because even the scenes that are going to be expositional or maybe a little bit lighter, there still has to be some give and take between something that somebody has and something that the other person doesn't have and maybe wants either literally or in a, in a, in a, in a intimacy kind of mode or whatever. And here there's that throughout. I mean, when they had, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the general uh, Sindula's uh, uh, potential court martial you know it's like it's it's the scene that you know isn't going to end up in a court martial and yet they don't play it like that i mean it's that senator who is uh questioning her was pretty intimidating and he wasn't a fool he wasn't you know the, the nine times out of ten a director would have probably filled that with some polonious windbag like well <laughs> no this is a young handsome guy who looks like he's got his shit together and probably a big star you know and all that kind of stuff and it's formidable. And so there's there's real stakes there. There's real tension. And these two going at each other is pretty good. And, and even, um, you know, the way the, um, uh, oh gosh, the, the other, the, the female running it character, I forget her name now. Sabine Red? Or not Sabine Red, uh, Harrison Dula? Uh, no, the uh, the woman who was kind of presiding over when she talks oh, at the oh, Moth about Moth like Moth Princess Leia really Moth didn't Moth do Moth. that, did she? <laughs> Senator Leia, whatever you like. Yeah. I mean, they're just there's, that's her tension. She's sitting there like, she could still get, uh, you know, uh, the general Sindula in trouble, you know? So it's like, there's stakes in each of these things. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I can't just walk through the scene where I'm not affected or I couldn't lose. I, and I think that's one of the great things about this episode is uh, there's something they could lose. I mean, when, remember in uh, the Mandalorian, when they were, you know, doing the training out there and all these games and stuff like that. I mean, it was fun and kind of filler, but it was like, is there any real stake here other than, you know, Who's going to win this little challenge? Uh, not really. Make it interesting. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But here, everything has some real tension and some real stakes. And even if there's smaller stakes, they fit into it. I mean, if I'm those three witches and 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 Morgan, anytime uh, General uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn asks me a question, I'm like, "Fuck, is this the end of me?" Because I, if mm-hmm. I don't answer this right, <laughs> I may be out on my ass, or maybe even kills me. Uh, I mean, yeah. so yeah, that's a nice little bit of stakes in every scene he's in. Yeah, well, Thrawn did. That. I remember there was an episode of Rebels where Thrawn had someone try out a speeder bike, although like its engine was bad, and if they went full speed, they would explode and die. And he just did it for his own personal amusements. Like, that's- <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of guy Thrawn is. He is a general who has it together, who knows where he is 10 steps ahead of you. And that's the guy the galaxy is going to have to worry about coming back. Mm -hmm. And we're not just watching a show about a character where we know if they're going to die already or not. You know, when we watch Andor, we know Mm -hmm. Andor died, you know, Mm -hmm. when we watch the Clone Wars, we know Anakin became Darth Vader. And is going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, we know with Solo, what the, the blah, 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 blah. This is a show about a character where we don't know her future yet. Mm-hmm. And when, and we're, we're wondering, she could die in it, you know, mm-hmm. or she could not. Smart. You know, and that, that this, the, uh, the, I think the smartest thing for them to do is to uh, keep her character going and put her in the subsequent movies they're going to make. Mm-hmm. But we'll see yeah. how far they get with that. Cause at that point, you know, when the sequels come out and then the sequel after the sequels, 
you know, Ahsoka's going to be much older. You know, she's going to be she's going to be in a cane like Yoda. So, John and Mike, I was so worried about the stakes in this last episode that I was worried that the Howler and the Nodi might get uh, laser blasted in those uh, those huts yeah. that they were hiding. And it's like, no, no, don't kill off that cute Howler. Yeah, don't and, kill you know, the turtles. Yeah, don't kill They didn't kill any of those people, really, which was good. And even like, uh, you know, people. I think uh, <laughs> steal uh, Balin's uh, uh, Howler to go at after they had their little skirmish. I mean, it's like, I love the fact that, you know, they saved the cat, if you will, as you know, that old uh, screenwriting book says, always save the animals if you can, because people don't want to see animals die. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Even if they're that, creatures in fantasy land, you know, <laughs> they still during are. The, during the Mad Max Fury Road sequence, like she could have just as easily been picking off the, the howlers, you know, yes. the yeah. dogs one by right. one. I mean, I don't know. If, I'm sure you don't play video games, Jeff, but that's what you do. <laughs> when you're being chased by a bunch of like you shoot the you shoot the horse yeah for it, sure and they how many movies have we seen really yeah none that, of the good right? guys died none of the horses died like everybody every, all of the good quote-unquote good people like survived that part that was amazing like yeah they did a really good job of working around because if I, I was like an eight-year-old kid watching this it'd be like please don't shoot the dogs please then they don't Right, the stormtroopers run when they're running away, and then they have a code to not shoot him in the back. Like mm -hmm. there's, you know, they just there's. A, I mean, that's a kind of a good little lesson for the kids to watch. Like you know, they're fighting, but they're being dignified and and playing fair. I don't know if that if they have a code or if they're just stormtroopers and they can't aim and they're just like they're just but, I mean, shooting all running the away to sort of retreat yeah. along with. Thrawn, they that's true. You could have said, Well, we're gonna get rid of these 10 that are left. It's like, but they didn't. I mean, yeah, Osaka was kind of zen about it. It's like, you know, if they don't bring the fight to us, we don't need to make yeah. extra carnage. Yeah, well, yeah, that's where Thrawn is smart. He's saying, All right, keep these guys alive because we're buying time to get away, mm -hmm. and already we've delayed them. I think if you sent more men, it would have delayed them even further. Oh, yeah. And then they would have had more time to get away. But then again, he probably would have lost resources that he could have used. He, he only has one goal, and that's to get the hell out of there. Yeah. He wants to go to a galaxy a little less far, far away. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm just wondering how he thought that why he didn't send more men. Because wouldn't that stall them longer if he sent more? Like, even if he did yeah. waste them, they're still like – imperial remnants throughout the universe well, I, that he could I have think, used i think his plan changed as soon as morgan handed him that tablet yes he mm. learned who her master was mm -hmm. i don't know if you know this jeff but grand admiral thrawn knows exactly who anakin skywalker is and who vader is that's right he knows that he's he vader knows that he? they are both the same person so as yeah. soon as he got that tablet and he figured out that vader was her boss basically mm -hmm. everything changed he's like oh she's going to be crazy unpredictable just like anakin and vader so my plan is going to change right here right now pull everybody back yeah she's got some <laughs> uh tricks that she's learned from him as as such yeah. a uh chosen one or one of the better people mm -hmm. the other thing too is i mean again i don't want to overdo the chess analogy but uh most chess players win by keeping their pawns around yep. and he's keeping his pawns around hmm. exactly they're yeah. very useful. If you get them to the other side of the board, they become extremely That's That's useful. the difference between, I think, a, a champion <laughs> and somebody who comes close. But, like, yeah, yeah you're going to sometimes have to give up a bishop or a rook, or maybe they'll be taking you and you'll be mad about it. But if you can hang on to four or five pawns and you get one or two of those 
to the other way, they become queens. And yep. the other thing is pawns can always be in the way, you know, like you can hide behind a pawn in a chess game. And so anyway, I guess ultimately what I'm saying is, you know, Thrawn is smart enough to save his men and live uh, and fight another day. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I could never be Thrawn because my strategy was to send more men <laughs> and delay them longer. You're, you're the first. You're Kylo. You you would fail. Immediately. Yeah. I would fall to the dark side so easily. I would fall to the dark side of the drop of a hat. I know me. <laughs> Mike, there would be plenty of room for you to succeed, though, in undercover bosses, Kylo Ren, when he... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I have to say, though, this, this show does feel the most like Star Wars I've seen in a while. Yes. You know, it's fun and exciting, but it's also dark and menacing, but it balances the two very well, where it's mostly fun. But you know you're not, but it's not too much fun. And luckily, the whole show hasn't become like a rescue mission. As a matter of fact, I don't think this film became or this show became a rescue mission. And it could have been like, yeah, there was the rescue mm -hmm. mission. It literally says it in the title of one of the episodes. It mm -hmm. says to embark on a rescue mission. You know, to find Sabine and save her. But really, it's to stop Thrawn. Mm -hmm. And this show works is because we have a clear antagonist. And one that we could stick with for many, many, many more shows as the years mm -hmm. go on. And we're, we're finally going to see the Star Wars sequel we wished we got, you know. And th that's something real special. And again, thanks to Dave Filoni for that. And Dave Filoni has one of the most, like, thankless jobs, which has become thankful among fans. Which is, it's like, all right, here's episode two and three. Everyone hates it. Write something to make everybody like it. Okay, here's the sequel trilogy. Everybody hates it. Write something so everybody likes it. And he's got to do that again. And here he's succeeding with Ahsoka. And it's so pleasing to see. I do like how Ahsoka sort of is this thoughtful character, you know, a little different than the show. Because, like, in the show, she was thoughtful, but she was much more, you know, wry and witty. And here she was much more of kind of like how you imagine a Jedi would be. But it makes sense in terms of the context of the show, considering, you know, her masters fall and you know basically the uh the rise of the empire re-rise of it you know she knows things are going to come around in sequences <laughs> there's a great bit from balan's skull and i think it was yes. in episode six yes where he says you know the dark side the light side these things happen where there's a rise and a fall and it happens yeah. again and again, again, yeah, very again. good. That was very good. You know, it was almost like politics. You know, one party wins, then the next party wins later. You know, and it yeah. kind of that's right there. Been, that's been like the whole of Star Wars since day one. It doesn't matter who's in power. There's corruption all over the place. It's the mm -hmm. bad guys. It's the good guys. Shit's gonna go wrong no matter what. <laughs> yeah, like, that's funny. Oh, isn't it funny too? How like um, uh, the the good guys always seem to be caught up in minutia. They're missing a lot of the big picture, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, them ragging on, uh, on um, Syndulla over something that, you know, really at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, but there's this bigger thing that she's kind of worried about. And and that's that's exactly why they're so easy to fall. That's right. They're, so, they're just so like, that's right. Concentrated on stuff that they, like they just don't, they're like you just said, they're not big picture focused. Mm -hmm. And the, the yeah. empire is. So right. when you go from that big picture focus to little picture focus, and you just have that tug of war back and forth constantly, yep. <laughs> you're going to get the the rise of an empire and the fall of a resistance and then the rise of a, of a first order and the, and 
you know, it's just gonna it's just gonna continue to cycle, just like Balin said. Right, right. It's yeah. amazing that you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, which is why he's finding some sort of greater purpose beyond the power struggles of the two. Are they trying to tell us that he's Snoke? Is that what they're doing? He oh had, no, he's not. No, he's, he's not gonna be Snoke. That's one of his. That's one of his powers. Oh, that's right? interesting. That's one of the. That's one of the oh. big things that Snoke was doing was looking into the future, right? I, yeah. I don't know. Wasn't Snoke away just like a... from? He's taking this turn away from being this mercenary, not mm -hmm. Jedi, not Sith person, looking at the like. There's some kind of magic going on with this planet. Yeah, and there's usually a physical transformation. Yeah, uh, whether it's um, you know, Anakin into, you know, the the charred remains of who he was in into Darth, or um. You know, even the emperor when he uh, was hint that he electrocuted and looked suddenly didn't look like a senator mm -hmm. much anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. But I don't, I don't think Balin Snoke. I think Snoke was just like a failed Palpatine clone or a pawn Palpatine mm -hmm. clone. If I was Baloney, I, I would, I would take that character and bring him. <laughs> give like him some more meaning, him. maybe. Yeah. That character yeah. has has zero meaning exactly, and in over three movies, he's pointless. Completely well, and why was he so easily vanquished? You know, if if he's mm -hmm. if he's has a history of being good, then he's always going to be caught in the middle because the past informs the present, and mm -hmm. then he would be maybe susceptible to being blocked or not being fully uh, equipped to think dark as dark as as Kylo Ren was when he when he killed him. I just yeah. hope they do something with Ray Stevenson's character after his passing, but don't like. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Too. Yeah, like, like I mean, that would be great because boy, his character is just fantastic. I mean, we mm -hmm. finally found out that like a little bit about his background, and it was through Grand Admiral Thrawn when he goes Balin Skull. Would that be General Balin Skull of the Jedi Order? And of course, and he says, "I parted ways with the Jedi long ago." And he goes many have or something like that yeah. you know you wouldn't be the first is what he said yeah right and he's he's a guy who knows who people are and he knows now that he knows who anakin is he might use that to his advantage with ahsoka although at this point what could he do she made peace with anakin in the afterlife so well and she, she still has the that. uh training she still uh, watches his yeah, still has the training holograms Yes. She's, yeah, I let go of Anakin. Anyways, here's a holiday. We paid this actor for how much money? And he's in two episodes? Bring him back for that other one. He'll yeah. be a hologram. Yeah, that, that felt a little forced, <laughs> if you will. Yes. They, 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 didn't, they didn't need Peter that Christensen scene. in three episodes. What? Oh, now, that would be great if you got in three. But no, I mean, the thing is, there's a lot more of him. So we'll probably see more of him later. But not in this season. I think they're done with that. But yeah, the hologram, we kind of we kind of didn't need that after she made peace with Anakin at the end of episode uh, five or not at the end, at the midpoint of episode five. <laughs> you know, having him as a hologram, it felt a little bit like, oh, we should give the fans more of Hayden Christensen that they want. Mm -hmm. You know, which I mean, hey, as a fan of Clone Wars, I still love seeing him training Ahsoka like that. Exactly. That's what yeah. I was going to touch on. Like, it, it just takes us back to the cartoons. Like, they used it. Mm quite a few times in rebels and in the clone Wars, so to have it live action it's like why not like give give hayden something to do yeah. <laughs> you know? i have to say too again um you know just <laughs> some watching this i know that you know you hear about these actors and, and 
such training for a long time to do these stunt work. And, and sure enough, they'll have stunt people who do a lot of the, the, the stuff for them. But still, um, you know, we're watching the actresses who are playing Ahsoka and Sabine do a ton of their stuff because they can't hide. You know, their faces are pretty recognizable, especially yeah. Sabine. She doesn't have a helmet or any kind of covering, and she's doing a lot of that stuff. And I'm very mm-hmm. impressed by that. It it gives it uh, a, a more... Um, a reality that you know in some respects you know like in something like the mandalorian you you couldn't find because it's could be anybody under that helmet you know and, yeah. and, and so i think there's some th- those stakes come through here too because it looks like it, it, it reminded me a little bit of like i think one of the reasons we applaud the mission impossible movies is because tom cruise is 16 he's still running around like wild man and here you've got these two actresses who probably trained for months and hot damn they're looking pretty damn good doing it all they look like they're really fighting and they're not holding it wrong and <laughs> you know they make believable potential killers if you will and uh applause applause for that yeah, I mean it's amazing. The the stunt work you see with the actresses alone is uh, is pretty remarkable. You know, you see, uh, I remember in episode five they had that young Ahsoka who's flipping around killing all yes, those Mandalorian troopers. Yes. You know, whew, good stuff. But I mean, so so the action still isn't as like incredible with the lightsaber combat as it was with the prequels. But you can tell the prequels they had like maybe two or three years to train. And yes. that's why they were so good at, you know, those because you don't get the speed or the veracity of it. You know, you get more of a slow samurai sort of feel, yep. I mm-hmm. think, because they mm-hmm. a, a creative decision and B, they just don't have the time to make those elaborate fights. So that's what they had to deal with. Uh, but I mean, I did like how they kind of introduced that slower style to it. There is more of a physicality to the Star Wars universe by blending practical with CGI and not being overly reliant on CG. Although I'm sure a good majority of this show does take place within the egg that they that they mm-hmm. call it that they film in. You know, to that point, that was one thing I always thought was a little bit um, odd in Return of the Jedi, even though it's very effective when Luke and uh, Darth are, are fighting, but it was very, very um, Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood kind of, you know, sword fighting or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where here it feels very much, again, in the sort of Kurosawa vein where there's this Zen quality to it and, you know, a little bit more careful movement and almost like it's mm-hmm. uh, got a spirituality to it as well. Not that it's all about just me going, oh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, some of that. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I loved a lot of Return of the Jedi. And I'll never forget, you know, talk about pausing when when the Emperor is like killing Luke and they cut to that helmet, just that helmet for like 10 seconds. It's like Batman when he discovers Miss Kitka is Catwoman in the Batman movie. And they just look at his face for 10 seconds. And he doesn't move. <laughs> but, you know, you've got Darth Vader going like. Mm-hmm. You could just see him thinking like. Fuck me underneath this helmet. Yeah. Um, but, and they but, were uh, and they ruined that with I'm sorry, <laughs> no, but they ruined that with the Blu-rays and the subsequent release because they have them go, no. Oh, really? No! That's right. You, oh, <laughs> him in the thing. He would have done it quietly because he wouldn't want the emperor to hear him. Yeah, I know. Or coming. Yeah, don't you think he'd be like, no, the emperor would have been like, what? John, I keep throwing in these um movie references for you, like the Batman Adam West uh, Miss Kitka thing, because I know you'll laugh because you'll get them, because I know you're that kind of connoisseur. <laughs> Mike, you too for such a young fellow, but uh, but uh, I'm always reminded of some of these things from my past and thinking like, yeah, that's kind of how it is here, and it's good in that way, or maybe not quite as good in that way. 
Right. Well, I mean, it has the same influences, I think, from when you were growing up to the to when Dave Filoni was growing up, and he true, that, true you know, within the episode. Those are like the things he remembers as a kid outside of Star Wars, and that's the things he puts in. Much like how Quentin Tarantino loves westerns, and lo- like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is basically like a huge homage to me TV, you know. So, <laughs> which I watched that channel. <laughs> No, and I know That's I'm starting. Hilarious. I'm starting to become an old man myself because I remember as a kid I would watch Nick at Night, and on Nick at oh. Night they'd show you know sitcoms from when my parents were growing up. Like I Love Lucy, I remember finding that show because of Nick at Night, and I think mm-hmm. even The Honeymooners is on Nick at Night. I could be wrong. And now I turned on Nick at Night, and they're playing Friends. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Am I that age now? And it's like, yes, you are. And then I just looked down my birthday date of birth. But... You know what's fascinating about that show? Mm. If you watch people watch that show, they don't laugh. No, it's they not just funny. They stare blankly at it. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Same thing with Saved by the Bell. It's like this huge oh thing God. that everybody just like loves, but they oh. they don't laugh. They don't react. They just stare blankly and oh are God. somehow entertained. I don't get it. But, you know, you raise a good point, John, and here's where I can link it because uh, it's a great thought. Link it to is like so many of those sitcoms, they're joke for the sake of jokes as opposed to being jokes that that character would say, that yep. that character would make. You know, like you think about like going back to the original Honeymooners and, you know, Ralph Cramman is going to go out and see a play with Norton because Alice has to stay because her mom's coming over and it's – you know, these two tickets to a thriller and his mom comes in and she bets him that he can't be quiet, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he's got the timer. And then the mother-in-law reveals the ending of this uh, twist play as mystery that Ralph is going to see and ruins it. And then the thing goes off and he goes, you are a blabber mouth. And what's <laughs> great about that is he explodes at her, but he can't swear at her because it's still his wife's mom. So he has to be just a little bit cognizant of that. And that's Ralph Cramden. You know, he's a blowhard, he's a rageaholic, but he's kept from being probably a killer because he's got a little sense of that, like, well, I gotta I gotta make sure that my wife stays with me or cooks my meal or goes to bed with me tonight or whatever. So it's raining. That's comedy within a character, mm-hmm. as opposed to just let's go for the craziest thing. Because if he started just really, really going off for like suddenly he's, you know, Oscar Wilde or you know, a Noel Coward being able to come up with witty uh, names and name calling stuff, they wouldn't be him. But so many of those shows that you're talking about, people stare at it's like they're just jokes. Saved by the bell. They were all written by one bad joke meister, and mm. as opposed to what would this character say, what would that character say? Those aren't about character-driven comedy; they're mm. about punchlines. And whenever you do punchlines, same here. Yeah. It's like that robot is is worried about if he's going to miss it, and and it and it hurts him. It's funny to us, but it hurts him, and his pain is both kind of sad and funny. And that's that character. That reminds me of why the. Uh... The Simpsons worked originally and why Family Guy doesn't work, which is the Simpsons. They have humor based on the characters, you know, like if you have an episode about Bart, it's about how Bart, you know, does something that's destructive Mm -hmm. and he learns his lesson, but he keeps on doing his own thing or episode about Homer where he's an idiot, but he's a lovable idiot, you know. Where you watch Family Guy, it's just a reference, like to reference South Park, referencing Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Did there there be a sequence where you don't? Know, they'd be sitting in the living room, and 
You know, like everybody says, talking. that reminds me of this, and then yeah. we do that cutaway. You think that's bad, right. and then they cut to the joke. It's just where so a joke that Sideshow Bob would say would not be said by Grandpa Simpson because they're two yeah. very distinct characters. Uh, Grandpa Simpson's memory would make him say some malapropisms that are funny, where Sideshow Bob's, uh, you know, proclivity for the finer arts. <laughs> Would drive him crazy, like when he's supposed to kill Bart during the Cape Fear parody, but he can't resist doing, you know, HMS Pinafore for him before they get to the shore. It's like there, that's what that's what defeats Sideshow Bob, his need to be on Broadway. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, those the, it works because you know it works with the characters the and character, how we feel yeah. about them. You know, I mean, again, here's what what works with the Soka to loop all these old sitcoms back to it somehow is that we have a show that is about a Jedi who learns how to, you know, defend something, you know, other than, and, and or believe in something, ghost. right? Yeah, or believe in she something. She kind of comes back to believing in. Yeah, What's she comes the, back the to believing in. very much like a Ronin story. Yes, yeah. she, lost, so. she lost her way, she lost her friends, she's doing baby steps to get back to her way, to get mm -hmm. back to her friends. At the end yes. of episode seven, we're back. Like she's she's the the head samurai again. Like she's the leader. She's totally you know, the queen of the castle. Whatever you want to say. She's got her left hand man and a right hand woman right next to her, <laughs> yeah. ready to go. Like that. Uh, um, I cannot wait for this next episode, man. This this is gonna. I be, know it's gonna be exciting. The best I'm... Star Wars that we've ever seen. Maybe some of the best science fiction that we've ever seen. Just like some of the most fun that we've ever seen. I, I mean. The story is going to be great, but I already know that the sound design and the music is going to be the best throughout the entire series, and it's already been fantastic. So that's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. In fact, Mike, you and I started talking about it before we came on. Is I have to say, I mean, you know, and this is nothing against Disney because I think Disney pours a lot of money into things, and God knows, I mean, they made Little Mermaid look great and 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 sometimes when you see they really are spending the money on special effects and you can see the difference in certain marvel movies that spend it here but i have to say this one i i'm astounded at the production values mm. i mean even like there's the lighting to your point john about sound the lighting in this thing like one of the things i thought that happened a lot in the mandalorian is like it looked like 70s universal shows like columbo and all those shows which are great but they're all over lit do you remember that yeah. every room and and i mean when gordon willis did the godfather people are saying like what's so dark well he's yeah it's being moody and it's sinister and it's yeah. secretive and it's, it's about the mafia. power is in the <laughs> shadows as they said in oppenheimer right yeah but uh everything was so overlit because that's just the way it was done here and the mandalorian and some of the other things you can sometimes see like well they didn't have money for this set or that's yep. too much lighting or they didn't have time to really give it a mood or a feeling here. Every, every scene seems to be really thought out. And I, I keep looking for like, well, they chinched on the special effects there a little bit. No. Yeah. yeah it doesn't look cheap ever. And it could have, it I mean, have. the beasts look incredible. That howler is a, is a character in this. He's not just sort of a half-assed done wolfy prop if you will when they, when they have to shut down power and they're like hiding within the whale bones yes. yeah like there's that eerie just like feel yes. of them sitting there just hiding and you can see like the little schools of fish floating yeah. and eating off the like it's just yeah like star wars to me like just the wonderment of star wars was like in that scene specifically where she's like huang is like running his scene or running his scans and she's just like mm -hmm. sitting there waiting like that's the that's the feel 
That's the Filoni Field. I, oh, oh my God! I, I hate to keep bringing his name up, but he's <laughs> he's brought. Well, there's also there was always the humor of scale in the original Star Wars too, like where mm -hmm. suddenly you realize, oh, it's uh you know thirty Ewoks that have just uh, toppled over this thing or whatever like that or stuff. And and here, like when they're um you know when uh, when the Howler is uh, sniffing at that rock and you know. Uh, Sabine is like, oh Jesus, what are you doing? You're wasting my time. And like, and then he's right. And then there's a number of other ones. And it's like that you think about even just production value. Uh, somebody probably was arguing, like, do we have to have seven of them reveal themselves? Yes, because three isn't funny or interesting enough. Yeah. And, and and a lot of times Star Wars succeeded by having more stormtroopers coming through the door, uh, more Ewoks helping them fight the battles and stuff. Yeah, it's really, I like the the sense that they there's people and there's numbers of critters and things in this world. And to your point about the howlers and the way that they, they bring those characters alive. Like when, when she's like chastising that howler about yes. being yes. like, Oh, you found water. Good job. And then the one pops up. Yes. And, and it, it's looking around. It's like, Oh shit, you got me. And then like, yeah. you know, a few minutes later, seven more pop up and the howlers yeah. reacting to that. Yes. That is, that, is, that is a great job of, CGIing or whatever you want to call it, like giving yes. life to that character. He's doing something in the background. You're right. It was fantastic. That was fantastic. Like I, I was just like, like seeing the reaction on an animal's face for how mm -hmm. it screwed up was just amazing. I mean, yeah. that's just the little things like that is just fantastic. Well, Dave Filoni comes from an animation background, so he probably understands visual effects on a way on a technical level better than a lot of other directors would, you know, a lot of them would probably look at it and go, oh, I like, this doesn't look good. Change that. And the visual effects guy would look at him and go, well, that'll change everything. If we did, that'll take another week. You know, Dave Filoni realistically knows what he can put in each episode. When you get Thrawn star destroyer approaching the frame, it felt so much more big and epic and meaningful than the army of star destroyers that, Emperor mm -hmm. Palpatine summoned yeah. in Rise of Skywalker. And it's because it's investing us in the characters and the setting, you know. And by you know, that's an interesting point that you made about animation because they have time to sit and look at it for a while, right? And they yeah. they can keep going back and plussing it. Uh, and you get some of those habits under your belt, and you start to do that when you're even doing live action. I remember um, reading uh, 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 sort of a. 20-year post-evaluation of Batman the Animated Series. Mm. And, of course, it got a lot of praise at the time for not only bringing characters from the comic books that we'd not seen before and really developing in them, but also this kind of weird Art Deco world, which was very 1930s, but also very futuristic. You know, they had black and white computers, but they still had computers, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the things that they also praised about that show, and I remember this because I was a huge fan of it when we ran in the early 90s, is they had characters in the background that anim that were animated that reacted to stuff. You know, it wasn't just like Batman versus uh, Mr. Freeze or something like that. If Mr. Freeze was making you know, hay at this party and freezing the guests. You had the person he was freezing, but you had all the other people kind of reacting to it and, and they would keep reacting to it. To your point, John, like the, you know, the, the howler is reacting in the background to all this other stuff that's going on in the foreground because he's still involved in it, even if he's not in a close-up. And they did a lot of that stuff in the Batman uh, animated series. And I think, you know, Pixar and all these animation things have done a lot of that since 
And I, I think of the cat always responding in the background in Coraline and how that mm. character was constantly reacting to things, even though he wasn't front and center. And uh, maybe that's a skill of the animator. Like this is a world we're, we're world building here. And a world is also not just its set and lighting, but it's also the people who are populating it and they have to have some interaction with it. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, when you have someone who actually works in animation, they they can they can understand with the visual effects department, like more realistically, what deadlines are executable and which ones aren't. And uh, I think that's I think with his expertise that he brings that into the show, you know, in a very meaningful and constructive way. Where you know uh, you would think other visual effects uh, or other directors with less experience in that realm right. would have mm -hmm. stuff that would look maybe a little more cheap like you know it, it kind of reminds me of like when ang lee did the hulk you know he told the cgi department i don't want this character to look like cgi and what was the main thing everyone joked about it looking like cgi <laughs> so it just shows like you can't just have someone come in there and just bark orders and then you know someone's gonna go oh yeah that makes sense you know <laughs> not unless their name is steve jobs and they you know torture their staff to make the iphone but yeah <laughs> Filoni understands the clay that he's working with. Yeah. Like he, he's looking at it frame by frame from an animator's perspective. So it's like yeah. cell mm -hmm. by cell, frame by frame. Like how do we how do we make this particular scene rewatchable or how, yeah. or just like rewatchable in your mind? Like you yeah. don't necessarily have to rewatch it live action, but you're gonna play it over in your mind and like, oh wait, this like you're saying like this background character was reacting to this. And you're, you weren't focused on it at the time, but you like look back on it either the next time you watch it or when you're thinking over it in your mind, you're like, oh, wow, like it really brought focus. And then you, then you go back and watch it again and you focus on that character instead of the four character and you kind of get like this big, bigger picture from the creator's stance. And right. like he just understands the clay that he's working with. He, I love that term. To mold. <laughs> and, it, and it's good clay. You know, it's not the cheap clay that they handed Hanna-Barbera where they gave no budgets once mm -hmm. they got done at MGM with Tom and Jerry. You know, mm -hmm. so they had to do the, the repeating backgrounds. And a lot of times the characters in the background were rotating with them as they're running down the, the street. The clay and the kiln were like, were made for him. Like yeah, this is right. the era of Star Wars literally made for this guy. And I'm, like, I'm we've got the better clay it. here. Go to town. Yeah. yeah, well, he's had years to develop it and build exactly. it and know what it is. Yeah. And, you know, he's a lot of these characters that are being interpreted for live action are his characters from animation. So he's mm -hmm. probably had some time to think about how he would want them to look on camera, you yeah. know, to have them make have them look believable. I mean, one of the characters that comes to mind was and it was one of the episodes in Book of Boba Fett that had nothing to do with Boba Fett because Boba Fett was boring. And that that character was Cad Bane. When they brought him back, that I, I couldn't believe how well they made that work. And then I watched behind the scenes videos. That face is not CGI. That's a puppet yep. that I was talking. <laughs> Maybe like some of the stuff with the lips was CGI. I'm not sure. But the fact that they prosthetics and it's a puppet, it's yeah, it's yeah, that's that's yeah, that's yeah. And, and to do what they did with that character and bring it to life the way that they did, yeah, was fantastic. Because no, I mean nobody knows unless you again, Jeff, unless you watched. 11 years of cartoons. <laughs> you don't know who this guy is. Right, but he, right. he was literally the guy who shot Boba Fett in the head <laughs> and yeah. gave him the dent in the helmet. Like oh, they funny. shot each other in the head. There's a whole bunch of backstory with him and Han Solo and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, Cad Bane is a big deal and they did him 
correctly in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Up until they killed him off. You know, nah, which, he's okay. Yeah. He's, he's going to be the back to bath. So he'll be fine. Uh, you don't, you don't <laughs> die if you get stabbed in the chest unless you're Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah. <laughs> like that guy just had it bad. I don't know. But, Is that the Liam Neeson character? Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, I, I know a little bit more than I'm yeah. not quite. Well, he was in the prequels, guys, so I'm in first grade. You guys are in the no, no, guys, no. I mean, he's in the, the prequels. He was <laughs> in the prequels, you know. Which I don't know. John and I said this for a while. Episode one isn't that bad. It's just it, you know it was too great. too much build up around it, you know, mm-hmm. because you have an amazing world that George Lucas builds. It's just that he writes flat characters around mm-hmm. it, and he didn't have Francis Ford Coppola to come and save his ass this time. He just yeah. did it on his own. But yeah, if the you world look- building, the story set up, the, mm-hmm. the, the, it's way too much CGI. I mean, it was Star Wars for the day. It kind of was what it was with the blue screen and everything that they were doing back then. Yeah. But yeah, that it, it is a fun movie to go back and if you can erase Attack of the Clones as its its pre, uh, forecursor, I guess. Um, yeah, Phantom Menace is a great movie as a standalone Star Wars film. It really is. Yes, yeah, Phantom Menace is, uh, I wouldn't say like a great movie, but I think it was like a good movie, you know, because they're setting up things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. I honestly think if they just skipped episode two and they just went straight into episode three with just like a little like more story or fat place, to it, you would have continued the storylines that they set up from the first movie. They just dropped all the storylines and just like did Detective Kenobi for the second movie. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah, and I also think that. Oh, good, good, Mike. No, that no, nothing. I was gonna say that was the creation. They it was literally just built off of one line, which was the Clone Wars. And George Lucas like, well, I gotta show him what the Clone Wars is, and then he just kind of wrote that. But they didn't write much character or anything Mm -hmm. behind it. It was just a bunch of action scenes with. Yeah, with, with exposition that's leading to the third film that we could mm-hmm. already get. And, of mm-hmm. course, you know, maybe if Dave Filoni and maybe if they had an Ahsoka at the time, the, sh- the movie would have been more interesting. But we got a whiny Anakin that nobody liked. I also think, and, and this is one of the problems with prequels and reboots and a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and one of the reasons, to your point earlier about why this, I think, is more compelling is because we don't know what's necessarily going to happen to all these characters. And there's some gaps here. Because I think when you go back and tell the story about people we already know their conclusion to, uh, it just robs it of some of the that the stakes, as you were talking about, John. Because, like, I, I mean, I love Mad Max Fury Road, but they're doing a prequel to that now with Furiosa's story. And that could be interesting, but I'd be more interested in what happened to her afterwards. And then they yeah. could have kept Charlize there in the role and you know okay so she's a little bit older and wiser too but what's her next thing where does she go from here Mm -hmm. uh i i love anya taylor joy but i'm going to be watching that going like nothing really significant is going to happen to her other than we'll see how she loses her arm because she survives and i just think is if you take that out of a film and, and watching Oh, are we supposed to feel sorry for Darth Vader? I felt sorry for him at the end of Return of Jedi when you mm-hmm. realize he's a, a, a afraid old man hiding kind of behind his his glory of uh, you know armor and stuff. Um, I, I just think that was a critical mistake. I, I wish somebody could have told George and, and uh, you know all of his power then that he got a good thing going here, but you don't have to tell the prequel. Just let's keep it going. What happens next to mm-hmm. the uh, the galaxy? Who's up? Who's down? Again. 
it all comes around. Maybe maybe the good people now are being come, coming corrupted and they're more like the bad guys and allows the real bad guys to come in and take it because they've got more will. That to me would have been better and then just continue it going on and on. And that's what some of the books and I know the, the comic stuff did uh, as well as, you know, tell some of the better Anakin stuff. But I don't want to see Darth Vader as a kid. I, I'm not, oh, he started out as a, a poor kid. I know Charles Manson was a, the unloved uh, son of a prostitute too. That doesn't change the Tate LaBianca murders as far as I'm concerned. Maybe he gives yeah. a little more understanding to his uh, being shit on all his life and wanting to shit back, but it doesn't make me like him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Darth Vader's story could have just been one movie. And that could have been it because like everything that you like, you're going to expect happen to have happen or want to see have happen or saw how it have happen. That happens all in the third film. Everything else you could have just told like in a flashback, like, okay, Obi-Wan picks up Anakin as his apprentice and he ends up training him. And of course it doesn't work out. Okay. And he has a forbidden relationship with the Senator. They could have told that like within a line, like when they had the I'm pregnant scene, they could have, you could have gotten it like right away who these two are. You know, but you have to have like an entire movie build these characters, you know, build up this romance that was horribly written. Like mm -hmm. for some reason, Padme just suddenly falls in love with Anakin out of nowhere, although he was like creeping on her and touching her back yeah. and telling her how much she hates sand. You know, <laughs> they, oh. they could have had they, they didn't need to have any of that horrible mm -hmm. love story. They could have made one movie. It would have been fine. But, you know, of course understandably they had to have episodes one, two and three because, you know, they later, you know, gave the movies numbers. They, uh, Star Wars was originally Star Wars. You know, it wasn't until the empire strikes back that they said episode five and six. So people are going to want to go, well, what's one, two and three. And of course that's our mm -hmm. Vader story, but without very good writing, there wasn't much to see there, you know, and they built the world. George Lucas built something, very imaginative. You know, you had Coruscant, that was like Metropolis. You had Naboo, which was Theed, and or actually Venice. And, you know, you had uh, you had uh, uh, the, the Gungan Zung Underworld. I can't remember. I think it was called Gunga. And Gunga is basically Aquarius. You know, so you have all these, you know, imaginings from other worlds, other works, other authors, other filmmakers put together in this imaginative sequel that just didn't have enough meat behind the story. We didn't need to, as you said, we didn't need to see a nine-year-old Anakin. We didn't need to see all those space politics about trade disputes. You know, <laughs> we didn't. Yeah. yeah. And the things we could have seen, that would have made the trade federation look like the threat that they were. We could have seen maybe instead of like a bunch of droid battle tanks rolling into Theed, we could have had a bunch of droid battle tanks, you know, shooting, shooting apart Naboo and destroying stuff and killing people, you know, with bloodless violence. And we would have gotten the idea that these guys are a real threat and they have to create the clone army to stop them. But by the way, to that, um, you know, it's funny. There, there were some funny nods to past stuff here that I also felt like Filoni was uh, having a little bit of fun at his predecessor's yeah. uh, stuff too. Like I love the line where they talked about um, uh, 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 Palpatine, and then, uh, well, he, the Emperor, you know, he was killed, right? Well, that's what some people think. Yeah, <laughs> like that well, answer I twenty did, years I ago would have been in hell. Yes, yeah. yeah, but now, well, suddenly he comes back, and there's a couple of those stories they mentioned. Um, 
<clears throat> what is the um what is the Christopher Lee's character again? He was referenced. Count yeah, Count Dooku. Yeah, he was referenced, and a yep. couple other. Then even somebody like me, who's not a, a, an aficionado like you guys are, was catching my thought. There was some funny little throwaways line, almost like he was having a little fun uh, in his confident way about referencing those other things which maybe weren't quite as successful or you know uh were somewhat polarizing or whatever in the past which was funny i'm glad you mentioned dooku because they did like they gave us some great cameos in episode six you yes mm-hmm. admiral akbar that's right episode seven you had admiral akbar sitting there again another puppet character that gets no voice lines that's starting to annoy me yes why doesn't he um, get to say only, something only the humans are talking which is really kind of bugging me the entirety of the mandalorian you got a puppet sitting there that's never going to say anything i'm cool with that <laughs> give some voice lines to the rest of these pups but anyway you got akbar you got 3po and then you got gideon mentioned you got yes. leia mentioned yep. you got grievous mentioned you've got finally asajj ventress mentioned and count dooku yep. like to have Lots have of all Easter eggs. In one episode was kind of fantastic, actually. Yeah. You know, they, uh, when you um, might fight General Grievous or Asajj Ventress or Count Dooku, that was just a, just to have those names thrown out there was fantastic. Yeah, when Sadula got basically off with just a little bit of a warning, they could have had uh, Akbar say, "It's a slap." Yeah, <laughs> just a slap. Say something. Just on the wrist. Anything. <laughs> oh, Come on, man. I could write these characters. See, now was was Akbar in the council there? Was that the scene yeah. he was in? I didn't even yeah. notice. My yeah, TV's too small. <laughs> no, <laughs> Mike, really we have just... to get you. A, we have to get you a bigger computer screen or something. I need. I need to get. A, I need to get a four K. No grand admiral. He's just regular admiral. You're getting yeah. all those. Uh, he might be a real admiral. I don't know. Could you imagine if I could just imagine like uh, Admiral Akbar's Grand Admiral Thrawn then? Like you must be the night sisters. What trap can we set up? Let them say something. <laughs> Whatever you're wearing, the Maybelline is not helping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were some hard looking women, let me tell you. Oh, they God. looked they looked a little witchy. I kept thinking that's gotta be an homage to uh, Macbeth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The the they're definitely an homage to the witch from Macbeth. Like yeah. they're they're absolutely that. And that's kind of yeah, with the shaved head and everything. Oh, or well, yeah. are, are you guys noticing the music anytime that they're on screen? Mm. Like there's there's one scene where they're using their their I don't know, their magic orbs or whatever it is. Yeah. And there's just like this super high pitched violin squeal in the mm-hmm. background yeah, that's, that's right. like so nineteen fifties just Oh my goodness! The way that these episodes are put together with sound—like I yeah. keep coming back to the music and this. Yes, it's Star Wars and it's lightsabers bouncing off of each other, but the sound design is amazing. I'll still come back to them hiding the lightsaber fight in the waves when yes. Jason yeah. is searching for us. So that is incredible to me. Yeah. That's just yeah. like on another level of uh, just another. I don't even know how to describe it. It's blowing no, my mind. Right. So true. And I love Thrawn's so theme. Seriously. That they brought back from Rebels because Thrawn had the uh, the organ mm-hmm. that that's has a very right. religious right. sort of feel mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. and it makes him just so much more menacing and scary. Like you'll just hear that organ, you know, uh oh, here comes Thrawn. They're How like, about the fact that he's such a scary sob, and they put him in basically a white frock? 
You know, he looks, yeah. he's almost dressed like the prince from the Cinderella, uh, the animated Disney Cinderella. It almost has that kind of feel to it. But I love the fact that he's, you know, got the skin tone of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, mystique and, uh, you know, even kind of the, the hair color. And then he's in this kind of British royal kind of white top and stuff, but he's scary as hell. Yeah, you know? Stormtroopers are using the, I forgot the Japanese form where they're like welding their helmets back together and they're literally tied together with strings and ropes and yes. sash. His uniform is perfect. He is yeah. well fed. Yep. Thrawn He's... is the king of that Star yes. Destroyer. Like, oh, my, like they yeah. brought this character to life perfectly for live action animation. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Seriously. And his number two guy with the face on the helmet is that's again that's so kabuki people. and everything as well, mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, it's it's amazing where they, it's it's fun when you get someone who's actually worked with the material. And has had a history of delivering with the material, being in charge of something like this. You know, it makes mm -hmm. you wonder why Dave Filoni wasn't in charge of the movies. But that's because you know when Disney acquired mm -hmm. Star Wars, they had to make their shareholders happy and release those episodes as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the uh, biggest problem the sequel trilogy had was they didn't have time. And in Ahsoka, they've had time to develop things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will bounce back and say I do like Andor. It does, I mean, it does drag a little bit, but as like a singular story about a man finding his purpose, it's exciting. And to see the moral gray area of the rebellion was uh, very captivating viewing because, mm. you know, we never see that with the rebellion. They're always the good guys and, hey, we should root for them. But then there's that whole heist that they're having with the Imperial cargo where they're threatening to kill a guy's kids and his wife, you know, if they don't do what they say. Now, that kind of subtext we don't see in Star Wars much, but I could go on forever about why I liked Andor. I felt like it was Star Wars made for someone who maybe didn't like Star Wars. You know, it was more of a political thriller. And maybe for people who like Star Wars, felt like, well, where's the whiz-bang action? It didn't need to have that as much. Although some of the characters were a little boring to watch. Yeah, for me, they really need to apply exactly what you said about Andor. They needed to apply that to Solo. Yeah. Like yeah. Han Solo was that guy before he met, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker. He he was the scoundrel. He was the bad guy. Like they needed to apply that, yeah, character template to Solo and not make him the goofball who can drive really fast. He was too good. Too standalone. like his standalone movie makes no sense. To me. Yeah, and it wasn't like, even the character. And like, there's there are no the side characters that have been brought. Into yeah. the Star Wars universe from that movie, like, like okay, great, like he met Chewbacca, like okay, so what? But we didn't see them actually meet, like we didn't see them do the life that situation. <laughs> they just like meet in this, like they change the story of how they meet, and it's just weird. But yeah, they need, they really needed to apply that Andor template to Solo, and that would have made for a great combination. Andor was, I mean, I, I just, I, I disagree with you on that. It's just like. It's too long. It's they do touch on a few points which you just mentioned, like the, the dark side of the re rebellion, and like not everybody's hands are clean when it comes to, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> which you know we should have known that going forward, but they they bring it full force and right in your face with Anne. Like sure, they yeah. they just needed to do something with that solo show or that solo movie to make it 
Well, they are making a Lando movie now, which Another I don't know how to feel time. about that. Like, Please I think, yeah. Again, I don't know why they they have so many new characters and things they could be doing with it, and it's like, let's just greatest hits. And it's like that. Yeah, it's forty years old. It's like I don't think there's that much love for that character. And and give me a Maul movie. Give me everything that I've learned about Maul in the cartoons, and give me an hour and a half of that. As a movie, because like people like like Jeff is still not going to go back and watch eleven years <laughs> of yeah. cartoons. But if we can condense the mall story into a film, let's let's like let's do that. Yeah, you know what I mean? we don't you, need that. You're making me want to go watch some of those animated ones, though. We John. don't need a, an R two, uh, you know, origin story. <laughs> like, let's see how he got built on his. No, we don't need any of this bullshit. We need yeah. Punk, we need a can. We need a Cad Bane. We need a real Boba Fett story. Mm -hmm. Like there's mm -hmm. so much substance within the Star mm -hmm. Wars universe, but they're just. Hmm. That's I why know, I wouldn't mind a season. The market until Ahsoka, honestly. Like, I really hope that this is the turning point for Star Wars and the yeah. Ray movie coming forward makes more sense because Filoni is involved and blah blah. Like just let's just let's just have Star Wars make sense instead of being a bunch of random explosions yeah, and yeah. like and make them special. Yeah, yeah. Make them, well, that's what made Star Wars special in the first place. When we specialized, yeah, when the trilogies came out, they were special because they haven't come out in so many years, you know. And now we get Star Wars all the time, which hey, I'm not going to complain. I like I like television shows and stuff, but just like Marvel, you get so much of it, it loses its luster. And when that happens, you start to lose some some faith in the fan base, and especially the Star Wars fan base with this show. I think they've mostly been positive. But you still get a lot of people who are negative Nancys on there who kind of either either some have good points and then others, you know, they just want they to. Good, they're the same people that refuse to watch the cartoons because they're cartoons. I can't watch yeah, it. That's it's right. A, yep. Then you missed out on the story leading up into Ahsoka and you're not going to get it. Stop complaining. Yeah. It was there for you. You were warned that Ahsoka was coming. You could have brushed up on some stuff. Stop complaining. Yeah. <laughs> well, not to mention that it's going so to be complaining about that stuff. But I don't want it. Well, waste my time then, I guess. <laughs> and, it, and if you go on Disney Plus and look up the Clone Wars, there's like a section where you could just skip straight to the episodes that are part of the main story instead of all the years where nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, two you and a half seasons, that. almost nothing happens. You can skip that. Wow. If you don't yeah. know that, then yeah, you're going to be wasting your time. Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, there's the there's like the the main episodes. Like, there's like a little sub tab in Disney Plus where it's like, go to this episode if you want to find out what happened to Darth Maul. You know, go to this episode of blah 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 blah. You know, so they do have that option. And luckily with Ahsoka, I never feel like this show is like dragging on too long or anything like that. I mean, if anything, maybe I'll say I'll push back on that. I'd say a little bit of episode seven. That 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 whole uh, chase with the little turtles and the bandits, along with the stormtroopers, like that scene, kind of went on for a little too long for me. Oh, I, it could have been it could have been trimmed down, but I mean, overall, we're not taught. We're kind of comparing apples to oranges here. It's mm -hmm. not. It's a it's a pretty satisfying series structurally mm -hmm. and stylistically, and if. It's going up from here. I, I'm wondering what the finale will be. I'm going to guess Thrawn hyper drives his way out of that galaxy into the new one, and then Ahsoka 
and Sabine and Ezra chase after him. They go back. They start to yeah. We're going to Lothal. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Uh, uh, there's, I wish I would have shared it earlier, but the opening and closing sequence of the show, mm-hmm. right? The, like Game of Thrones thing where they're like following the lines. That is literally the storyline. Mm, yeah. you're, you're going from planet to planet and you're mm-hmm. seeing. So when you, at the end of the, mm-hmm. when the episode's over and you see them come from the other universe or the second galaxy back home, you can see them first arriving at an outer rim planet, which let's hope to God is not Tatooine. Oh. It has to be, be Lothal. It's obviously mm-hmm. got to be Lothal. But we're finally going to see Lothal in live action, and I cannot wait for that. And which Seriously. one is Lothal <laughs> again? I'm trying to remember. That's where Ezra is from. Ah. Uh, well, wait, wait. It's, his, his, home, it's oh. his home. Where Bendu was and like the that one Jedi temple that Kanan and him unlocked. Yeah, that's just kind of like another random Star Wars planet with a lot of, you know, yeah. sand. Oh, yeah. you know, no, it's I a desert know. planet, but it's not Tatooine, and it's Ezra's home planet. It's something that we haven't seen yet. I thought Sabine was in Ezra's home in the first episode when she's like in that in that place. She was in there and watching his hologram. Oh yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That is. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Uh, we're, yeah. going, we're, we're returning to Lothal, which yeah. is going to be fantastic. Yeah, it should be fine. You know, another another desert planet. Why not? <laughs> like, I I've seen so much sand. I I understand why Anakin hates sand. It's not it's not that cinematically interesting to see, and it is annoying. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if these things that's bad, they should have been on the. Uh, what's the name of the planet in Dune? Oh, is it Dune? Actually, it I think it's Dune. Oh, oh, it's Arrakis. Okay. The dunes are the actual. Yeah, like the, the seas. So. And when's that yeah. movie coming out? March. Well, we wait till March. Oh, they, they fucked that up huge. You can't, you can't split that in half. Well, that's, that's, that's the biggest big problem mistake. with it is like Warner Brothers. I think it was Warner Brothers who did that one, right? Mm-hmm. They kind of lost their uh, their will or something. Uh, they they decided to only do half the book, and well, and then we'll see how it does. It's like. Why would you ever just do half the book and not? I mean, if you're going to do it, do the whole first book and you can still split it if you want, but you have to produce the whole thing. It's yeah. like, well, we'll wait and see if we do the second half of the book. I, I don't understand that kind of decision making. No, it's the like second you half of be... the story is the story. Exactly. And, and it ends on the most un- anticlimactic <laughs> nothing. And I just don't understand that kind of, how that kind of person becomes Makes a studio head. I do not <laughs> understand. To me, that is not an entertainer. You know, that's the thing we can bitch about L.B. Mayer and some of those people. I know. But that's the problem is back in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, the people who were heading up studios came from the theatrical world, the vaudeville world. They were entertainment. They were showmen. L.B. Mayer may have been a prick, but he was a showman. He knew how to cast right and, and get good stories and get good people to do it. And he wanted it done right. Now it's just they're money men and they're they're bean counters and they think oh well if if Dune's successful then we'll do the second half and people will go see it it's like that's just dumb storytelling yeah. yeah I I don't it feels like they just kind of stretched out the storyline from the first film it was really well done but it's like just do the whole thing do the whole first they, book they, you got I don't think they stretched it's a gigantic story I mean the book is like a foot thick like you can't you literally can't tell that story that's why everybody was complaining about the Lynch version because it's so condensed unless right. you watch the four and a half hour right. version you're just not going to understand what's That's going right. on but see i would also <laughs> suggest and, and this is one of the things that i think we've now in a in a different world is with binge showing and stuff like that people will sit and watch a show for eight hours 
you know, and uh, I remember literally 30 years ago when Nicholas Nickleby was uh, on Broadway, the Royal Shakespearean Company uh, did it in England and they imported it to New York. It was, I think, 12 hours and they were two six hour shows and you sat for three hours and they had intermission <laughs> and then you came back after an hour or two hours, what it was, and you watched the rest of it and you did the whole show in two very long days and it made a king's ransom. I mean, people will sit for sports. They'll watch football all Saturday, two games on for college and two on Sunday. It's like, I think they could have done Dune and said, yes, it's a five-hour movie and you're going to love it. And yep. it's going to feel like a two-and-a-half-hour movie because it's going to move and it's going to be exciting. It's going to look like an incredible thing. And that sound design is going to wash over you and all that. But somebody goes, well, people aren't going to sit for this. I mean, it's, you know, Harvey Weinstein saying, well, we can't show Kill Bill as a three-hour movie. It's got to be cut in half. It's like, really? That could have worked as one movie. Just make it a good three-hour movie. I think you, you, people wouldn't have seen it if the movie was like five hours. I mean, I think they would today. I think for Dune, I think it would be a, it would be a, like an event. And and give it an intermission. I mean, you, mm -hmm. Sound of Music, Doctor Zhivago, those things. Uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. It was a three-hour comedy in its day in 1963, and it came with a 20-minute intermission. Yeah, so See, I, I. I just wonder if it would make as much money, though, you know, because I mean, There's I know Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese is releasing Killers of the Flower Moon, and that movie's three hours and 26 minutes, which yeah. I don't know. Is it Irishman? It's a long exactly? story. It's a long story, though. It kind of, I think it needs that time. We'll see. Mm. I don't know if, if it's his second to last film or whatever. But I mean, the Irishman. Make the also, time for it. Yeah, the Irishman I mean, also felt The content cool. is there. Yes, it can, it can be just like you said. It can be six hours. It can be twelve hours long. It can be twenty-four hours long. But if it's just a bunch of nothing, yeah, like the first half of Dune is, <laughs> like, like literally the first half of that movie, is set a bunch of stuff that happens. It, yeah. it doesn't get good until he crash lands in the desert and shit hits the fan for him. <laughs> are, we, are we ever going to see that? We might not even ever see that. And they cut away from the big battle, which. <laughs> And get the completion of the story, or if you go back and read the book, which you know it's 2023, nobody's going to do that. We know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing too that always strikes me about some of these things is I don't understand why there's a resistance to do animation. Animation is so it, it can it can tell a 400 million dollar story, and mm -hmm. you can do so much with it. And it doesn't all have to look like Pixar. It doesn't have to look like kiddie stuff. Um, and you can world build and all that. And I, I'm not saying that Dune isn't terrific on a number of levels, but can you imagine if somebody said, rather than spending $300 million on a film, we're going to spend $150 million on an animated version of it, and we're going to make it the same scale that you'd see in a big, you know, uh, screen and the, the sound design and all that, but we're going to literally create it and do this kind of adult animation for it. I, I just they should start doing some things like that. There's the horror genre could be told in animation. And, you know, there's horror comics at work uh, that have scarier stories and thrillers and stuff like that. I, I, I just think that's one of those things that's untapped. And as you were just, you know, saying for the last few episodes, the animated series, I think after the original three films, was the best of the Star Wars stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, you you know, they laugh and deride it. Oh, it's kiddie stuff. No, it's not. It's really well done storytelling. And the people who work in the animation, they can be it Batman the Animated Series or the Star Wars stuff or whatever else, are doing incredible work. It doesn't yeah, matter if it's made for kids. If it's engaged, I'm sorry. Oh, I was like Rebels is some of the best Star Wars available. There's four yeah. series, four seasons of it. It's mm -hmm. super condensed. 
there are episodes that kind of stray away from things and make no sense. There's one episode where they're focused on this, um, like, I think it's like five or six droids out in the middle of the desert and they're lost and they're like questioning reality and whether or not they're oh, even exist. That was a Clone Wars. Was that Clone yeah. Wars? Or, yeah, but, the I mean, one with like, the frog guy who's like side, real insecure. They can take side, side tracks with animation and do things that they can do with animation that they can't do in live action. Yeah. And I really think that Star Wars is like this era of Star Wars is going to bleed over and we're going to get a combination of live action animation with CGI with with live action all in one thing and have complete story because like and you like know what the example movie. is John the avatar movies it's yeah. almost all animation and it doesn't look like pixar it doesn't look like a cartoon and yet that's animation mm. that's the the that just opens the door for all different other kinds of styles that they can yeah. use. And you can make it look realistic if you want, or you can make it stylistic. I mean, um, I just, I don't understand this. And animation makes money. It almost always makes money because mm -hmm. there's a novelty to it. It's fresh and it's different. Yeah. And it generally appeals to, you know, the four quadrants as they are called. <laughs> yep. yeah. yeah. But Having said all that, are we? I think uh, we can all unanimously say we're happy with the Soka six and seven. We're mm -hmm. excited to see where eight goes. Uh, I certainly am. I have an idea that the that Thrawn's going to get out of there, and then it's going to be like an oh no, we got to go get him sort of motivator to get to the next season. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'm excited to see where they're going to go from here. Uh, so sure. before I take off, I'd like you guys to plug your stuff away. So. Uh, Jeff, go ahead and plug away. Well, you can see that uh, my, uh, I think it's been 13 years now. I've been writing for the establishing shot.org. That's dot org. That's my movie blog. I do characters of the uh, movies or TV shows that I really like a lot. I did one of uh, Ahsoka. I was going to give it to you, John, if I, if I, uh, if you wanted it. Uh, really? uh, I am now doing TikToks each week uh, about one movie that I like to with a drawing and showing how that's done a little bit. And I do, um, Essays about the film and uh, film world in Hollywood for PipelineArtists.com. It's a creative magazine online. And I'm also on Rotten Tomatoes if you want to find me and all my catalog of things I've written there. So, um, that, And I'm guesting on this wonderful show and often on Kicking the Seed and sometimes on Cinema Jaw and other places. But uh, wonderful to be sitting here with you guys on this. Maybe after this we'll talk about... Uh, the Fall of the House of Usher, Mike. I know you mm. like horror. Now that John does too. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah. we'll see. Just a thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll see how drowned I am in screenings. <laughs> <laughs> I know it comes out in the middle of October, right in the thick of it all. Oh, yeah. You'll you'll just see, if you just on see Netflix, eight episodes. One of these episodes of the show, you just see me crying, trying to write everything. <laughs> yes. But anyway, that's my story. Yeah, so yeah, go ahead, John. John go ahead. <laughs> Cinema Obscura, we are the world's only library of independent film. Can TV every Monday night at 11 o'clock here in Chicago. You can find us an hour of uh, independent shorts, music videos, documentaries, animation, web series, all of it collected right. in one spot. We have archives on Vimeo and a live show at the Logan Theater every fourth Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Come check us out. We do a lot of good stuff. Excellent. Fantastic. And if you want to check out my stuff, I'm at YPA Reviews on social media with TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook. And you can find all my reviews for the newest stuff 
at ypareviews.com, whether it's a new independent movie that you might not hear of or a new big budget feature that you want to be aware of. I know <laughs> I just we talked about the creator at the beginning and I liked it, but didn't love it. And I'm starting to teeter on not liking it, but whatever. I had to get my the review off that. influencer over you, young Mike <laughs> Crowley. Yes. You're going to despise it by the I time I'm done it. with you. I haven't seen it. I don't know if I will, but it's not a Neil Blomkamp movie that's trying to be a Neil Blomkamp movie. So I might just have. It started yeah, out like Robert Garland and ended up being Michael Bay, which is not a good transition. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a good way to, that's a good way to define it. <laughs> <laughs> lots of explosions. Like really? I mean, the designs are right out of Ex Machina and there's, you know, that kind of intellectualism going on there, but quickly it's like, eh, let's just start blowing shit up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of knew they were going to do that because Gareth Edwards is like that. He likes to introduce characters in interesting settings and then he ditches it to do all cool. I know everybody loves Rogue One. Apparently everybody loves, but you know, Rogue One didn't have very interesting characters. And the most interesting parts of that movie were the parts that had nothing to do with the characters. It was just Darth Vader killing people in hallways and <coughs> big space battles and stuff like that. But again, what, what was the last, what was like the lasting impression on what that movie meant? Not much at all. You know, and that's yeah. kind of Gareth Edwards' Move main on. problem with this movie. He's great at visual effects, but not very good at storytelling. But that's a very, you know, I, I guess uh, I probably lost all the Star Wars fans after saying I didn't like Rogue One that much. But it's true. <laughs> I found it kind of boring. Well, it's not as good as Ahsoka. Yeah, it's not as good as Ahsoka. But anyways, if you guys liked what you saw, please subscribe to YPA Reviews. Check out Jeff York at Establishing Shot and John Davies at Cinema Obscura. All of their information for their stuff is in the description of the video. So please go check that out. And we will see you next Thursday with the finale of Ahsoka. Until then, we will see you later. And goodbye. And may the Force be with you. <laughs>